Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. Today, we're talking about how to stop, how to start climate change conversation. And uh, my guest today is Tori Ruttenberg. She's the co-founder of the Climate Change Group in Washington, D.C. Tori is a facilitator of conflict resolution and difficult conversations. Tori's helping people talk about climate change so that they may turn concerns into action. So it's all about starting the conversations in the right way. And so I'm delighted that you're here, Tori. Hello. Hi, how are you? It's good to be here. Oh, that's great. Um, are you calling in from Washington, or where are you? I'm in Washington right now, where it is yeah. hot. <laughs> well, kudos for being at work and not on holiday on some cold floor or something. <laughs> Soon enough. <laughs> it's hard, because a lot of people right now in August are away and stuff, so thank you for being on task. Um, no, it's also my pleasure. with me is, <laughs> you bet, uh, Jesse McIsaac, our stellar Ocean River Institute summer intern. Hello, hello. And Jesse, um, thank you for getting you know getting us this whole show touched in, together with Tori, you know, yeah. coming on the phone. So you and Tori have some history here. Of course. Well, I think I've known Tori my entire life. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And first, <laughs> your birth, not mine. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Tori has been a close family friend of mine growing up for the past 21 years and longer. Um, You went to to law school with both my mom and dad, right, UVA? I did. And uh, basically also went to high school with your dad. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) DC roots. Well, thank you for joining Yeah, thank you for coming on this uh, coming on this talk. I've had some great conversations about Tori. You know, as a budding environmentalist, she's been super helpful in kind of offering the guiding advice and what kind of paths I may want to take. So, thanks again for agreeing to be on the show, Tori. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it's always great to talk to you about this stuff. <laughs> I hadn't met Tori until just preparing for this show. But I, I see that you recently went back to graduate school in environmental studies at the Yale School of Public Health. And I can relate to this because I went back to graduate school after two decades of work during a PhD in environmental studies from Antioch, New England. So bravo for getting into this fight. Yes. Well, I'm, I've been obsessed with it for many years now. So that was sort of the next logical step was to get a bit more background in it. Yeah, you probably recall Earth Day. That's when I got involved. I do in recall stuff. Earth Day. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> no, I've long been um, interested in environmental stuff. Um, you know, yeah. as an undergrad, I I majored, I semi majored it. I majored in American Studies with a focus on environmental studies. I um, was on the Environmental Law Journal in law school, and but the climate change stuff is what really kicked off for me probably four years ago, I would say. Yeah, it's really taking off. Um, thank you for jumping into the foray and, and fighting furiously. Uh, tell us 
about the Climate Change Group. What do they? What do you guys do, Climate Change Group, and how did it come about? Yeah, so let me tell you sort of how it came about, and then maybe it'll that'll what we do will make more Good. sense. Um, so about four years ago, I guess I read Bill McKibben's book Earth. Have you read that? Yes. Mm. Earth with yeah, two A's. Exactly, because he said the Earth that we know, you know, is no longer the, you know, it will no longer be the same Earth in the future. So I gave it this different name. Um, and everything that was in there just made sense. It was all about climate change. Um, I had spent a lot of time thinking about environmental systems and ecosystems. And when I read about this, I was like, uh-oh, like that totally rang true. And I thought, I really need to pay attention to this. So I started really reading a lot and just trying to self-educate. And then a couple of years ago, I was listening to some friends. You've probably heard this type of an argument. They were just sitting around arguing about, you know, what's the right thing to do for climate change. Like just that, the idea that there's one solution. So it's like, you no, know, you have to lobby for a carbon tax. No, you have to sue ExxonMobil, whatever it is. And I just had this sort of aha moment where I thought, there's absolutely no one right way to approach this. It's huge. So, you know, if you're concerned about, you know, if you're focused on mitigation, there's all sorts of ways to look at how to take greenhouse gases out of the air. Or, you know, there's the adaptation because no matter what we do, as as you all know, the earth is going to get warmer even if we stopped everything today. So how do we adapt to all the different changes? And I thought, no, there's mm-hmm. not. This is a waste of energy. And what we really need to think about is um, what can each person do based on their skills, based on their interests, based on their background, the amount of time they have. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we get people engaged using their skills? And as a management consultant, I had done a lot of group facilitation work, and I thought this is really a lot like group career coaching. Um, where you get people in and you have them think about, you know, what are they interested in? What can they do? Who do they like to work with? So that's how our first program act um, was born. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, so our, uh, yeah, so this led you to pull together the climate change group. Yeah. Right? So, then, I, I, so what is the I reached climate change group? Um, well, we called it Climate Change Group because um, as a management consultant, I had my own company for 20 years, and I kept it very broad, Ruttenberg Consultants, yeah. just so that um, I could add things and subtract things as they made sense. So um, we came up with Climate Change Group, and, and I founded this with my friends Fran Barnes and Ann Schroeder, and we came up with the name basically so it would be an umbrella for kind of what we saw as things that were needed. So we didn't want to, like, peck ourselves just to, like, take action, which was good because then mm-hmm. we ended up adding a program on talk. Um, and the way that came up was I was going on vacation, and the place where I've been going forever and ever is a very small community. Everybody knows each other. There's a lot of people who are um, worried about the environment. And I thought I should do an ACT program there, but you know, people are on vacation. They don't want to sit there and think about work and volunteer work. And um, so I was talking to a friend of mine, and I'm like, I don't really know what to do. And she said, 
well, it seems that you people spend a ton of time up there going to cocktail parties and talking to each other, so why don't you teach people how to talk to each other? Because when I was a consultant, I did a ton of work on how to, how to have difficult conversations and conflict resolution, and, you know, climate change is it's kind of the ultimate difficult conversation in this country, <laughs> unfortunately, so we added that program. Um, and that's well, that's brilliant. That's just brilliant because that's kind of how I write my my e alerts. Is I want to put things in there that somebody can remember to bring to that cocktail conversation. You know, people want to sound intelligent, and so you need to get the material to help. That yeah. And and yeah, when your two colleagues, the two colleagues you sorry, started with, were that. they also lawyers or were they therapists or um, what kind of skills did um, they bring to make the group work? So, um, Anne does most of our administrative stuff. She actually has a degree in art history, so not directly relevant, but she's super organized and keeps us on track. And then Fran has worked in a lot of nonprofits and kind of knows how to reach out to people. And technically, we're a 501c3, but we, we don't raise, I'm sorry, we're not a 501c3. We're a domestic nonprofit. We're not looking to raise money. We do our programs free, in fact, um, I keep mm-hmm. some of my management consulting work to fund it, and then we ask for a stipend. Yeah. But she's good at kind of figuring out how do you, you know, she knows a lot of people in the environmental world and in the nonprofit world in D.C., and so, and she was interested in, and a good writer, and so the three of us, you know, came together. And since then, I've added in a bunch of facilitators who are going to help facilitate these programs, because our... Mm. Our ultimate vision is that we will kind of get them in good enough shape and easy enough to use so that anybody can teach people the skills that they need to facilitate these. So, and then we'll just kind of give away the information. So, you know, we'll become like book clubs or whatever. Groups of people would just get together and they, you know, somebody in the yeah. group would teach everybody else how to do stuff. And so do you find that do you find that different uh, groups need different kinds of facilitators? Like, are you going to divvy that up somehow? Um, like, or, or is it just are they just dealing no, with human beings? I guess you're just dealing with um, you know voters and and stakeholders, and so it doesn't really matter. Maybe um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the people I reached out to were all um, facilitators I knew from my professional life as a consultant and facilitator. Yeah. So a lot of the, us have gone through Georgetown Organization Development Program together. So these are people I have, you know, a deep history with and have worked with a lot. So we haven't started to reach out to people without a background in facilitation. But No, but I meant um, your facilitators aren't breaking up your audience into different topics. You know, like one sort of saying, I'm going for this type of people and another say that type or something. But rather, it's no. just how do you facilitate conversations? And, and that's, that's the huge first step that uh, will probably keep you busy for the rest of your life. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How to, well, that's the handy enormous. Is, There's so many. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say the handy thing is, is that since it's about having conversations that people are uncomfortable having, you know, you can use the same skills the next time you get in a fight with a friend. So, you know, about right. anything or a roommate or, you know. The next time your roommate or somebody's roommate leaves dirty dishes in the sink, you can use the same skills. 
Well, speaking of skills of people you disagree with, how do you approach these conversations in regard to climate change deniers? Well, um, are you familiar with the Six Americas study that came out of the Yale Project on Climate Communication and the George Mason? It's also something like the Project on Climate Communication. Yes, please, please give a brief overview. (laughs) I'm sure our listeners are not. It is a great, they have amazing research on their website on climate communication. So um, they did a big survey several years ago and they updated the numbers in 2018 where they looked at the different groups of people in America and their belief systems. And they said basically there are six groups that they call the six Americas. And depending on where someone falls, um, in terms of, you know, the different groups, you talk to them differently. So you have on one end the alarmed, which I fall into and, you know, you guys obviously fall into, which are people who (laughs) are concerned about climate change and they're taking action. And then it kind of goes down to the, I believe, dismissives is what they call the people who don't Mm -hmm. believe it's happening, don't think we should take any action on it. If it's happening, it's, you know, natural cycles, People have nothing to do with it. They're the ones who are really out pushing against taking action. And you don't want to talk to them, which is actually such a relief. And I don't mean that negatively. I know people that I like who fall into that group, but you don't want to talk to them about climate change because if you do, you are um, liable to trigger them to take, to motivate them to take action in the opposite direction. So Mm. it's kind of a relief. You don't actually have to get into a big debate or argument with them because once you realize where they are, you can just, you know, start coughing and excuse yourself or, you know, run off. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so skip those conversations. That's really, really good to hear you say because the alarmists are going, we all have to act. And what they do is they end up accosting family members and people that we have some kind of relationship with and they threaten the whole relationship just because they're driving their climate change point. So, you know, I know not to bring up climate change when I'm having Thanksgiving dinner with certain family members uh, because we respect each other's polarity on the issue. And, and so mm-hmm. I like the way that you're giving them permission not to have to go railing on um, people who are really stuck in there as passionately their way as we are. Exactly. And... Um you know, it's it's odd because I find a lot of times people who work on climate change seem to have this need to have people believe that it's happening. And the way I look at it is, mm-hmm. right. I don't care what anybody believes. It's not a religion. You don't have to believe anything so long as you're taking action. And there's a lot of, you know, really nice sort of confluences. I don't know if I even can pronounce that word, but meetings of, <laughs> of interest. So clean energy. Um, clean energy is good for everybody. Getting off the grid. So if you have solar power, then you're not beholden to a utility. So some of the people who are really conservative, they think that's fabulous. So rather than right. wasting your time fighting about whether it's, you know, a real thing, just get people to take the action they need to take. Um, You're not trying to shut down the number one thing. You quickly saw through that, as you mentioned earlier, and instead it sounds like you're engaging people in conversation so that with their understanding, they'll tell you what they're going to do, right? 
Um, yeah, so that's what, you know, for the ACT program, we really want people to act, to stop sitting around and wringing their hands and saying, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, the sky's falling, um, and stop feeling helpless. Right, and the stop they choose, they feel they're choosing the actions, right? They're not being prescribed what to do. Exactly, and it's, I yeah. mean, I'm sort of a perfect example. I'm a management consultant, um, and I'm using those exact skill sets in the climate change work. I'm not lobbying. I'm not arguing about carbon fees and dividends versus cap and trade or whatever people think that you should be doing. Um, I'm just using the skills I already had to work with people I like working with. So um, the other thing that I think is, you know, was kind of an eye-opener for me, and again, going back to the six Americas and, and how to communicate, is people who are in the alarm group, and then the next group is the concern group, so that's like, I think about 30% was the most recent numbers. I'm probably a little off of my numbers, but not much. Um, Mm. They think it's happening, but they think it's in the future. They don't realize it's going to hit them or that it's already hitting a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But for them, you know, there's all this gloom and doom out there, and and rightfully so. But if, if you spend a lot of time talking to people already super worried about it, about all the bad things that are going to happen, then it, we shut down. It gets too overwhelming. So when you're talking to people yep. who fall into our categories, you want solutions. Um, do you all know Drawdown? Have you, are you familiar with Drawdown? I am not. Rob, have you, have you come across Drawdown? Um, what do you mean by Drawdown? Yeah, go ahead. Um, oh, so it's, there's a group, a website. They have a book, um, and they've taken, they've really thoroughly tested sort of I think it's about 100 things you can do that we already have the technology for. So not something we're going to hopefully create, you know, in the near future, but things that already exist. Uh, because what they realized mm-hmm. is people were spending a lot of time talking about outcomes and what was going to happen, but not enough time about the solution. So um, a lot of friends of mine who work in this area, they're like, I literally keep a copy of that by my bed. So I can, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, okay. I can like pick it up. And I can read about a solution that we already have the ability to implement, you know, like planting trees, which uh-huh. is one of my personal favorites. That's so great. I I've never heard of it. I didn't know the term drawdown. So drawdown is referring to offering solutions, right? Yeah, and, and drawdown is the name of their website and the name of their book. So it, it's actually, I, I think it's actually an organization now. I think it's drawdown.org. Right. Um, but for I that, their website now. Wow, they really have a lot of solutions. And, and yeah. so um, this is really interesting. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back after okay. the break to talk some more with Tori Ruttenberg of Climate Change Group. Stand by. <laughs> On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. 
If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi. I'm talking, and Jesse McIsaac is with me, and we're talking with Tori Ruttenberg, who is the co-founder of Climate Change Group. Hi, Tori. You there? I'm here. Hi. So, um, how can people um, get in touch with you at Climate Change Group? Well, Well, we have a website, um, which is very very easy to remember. It's just www.climatechangegroup.org. Um, and you can also email me, Tori, which is spelled T-O-R-Y, at climatechangegroup.org, and I'll respond. Yeah, it's a great website. I invite you to do that. And um, so you were explaining how that you have this continuum of um, from the alarms, you know, and acting people like, like us to uh, the, at one wall, and on the other wall, you have the denial people who are, you know, totally uh, insulted by this and don't want to hear about anything. And you were pointing out that if you if you go talk with them, you might drive them to even more extreme stuff. Um, yeah. And then uh, on the on the left side, on the left wall, let's say, is the alarm for people like you and me. And then in a bit are those who are just concerned. So that's a clear category that they're not uh, that they're really concerned about what they're hearing about. Um, but they're not um, rattling the, the cages and, and going out and getting petitions signed or whatever. 
Uh, and then yeah. what would be uh, one next to that? Or tell us about the other groups. Okay. Um, yeah, just to, um, you know, back up a little bit to the concern. So they're, they're moderately yeah. worried, but it's more that they see it as distant. And that's, you know, one of the challenges when you talk about climate changes is if people understand that it's happening and it's happening now and it's happening here. So it's, you know, it's local, you know, it's immediate, it's personal. They're far more likely to engage than if they think it polar bears might go extinct in 50 years. So the concern group, you know, it's out there, you know, climate change out there, but they think it's, they think we've got 50 years or, you know, it's not going to hit them personally. So it's, it's, Distant. Um, the next group you have. Right. So, the, so this is, is the group that, sorry? that you're saying. You're saying this is the the concerned group. Is the one you want to move over to the alarmed acting group. Exactly. Right? And it's not yeah. that you know, hard so, to move them over. Right. Um, but yeah. So, I mean that, that's a priority. Yeah, so they're almost the, there, so that would be a priority, I think. They're almost but, yeah. there. You just got to make them realize it's happening and get them activated. Um. Then you have the cautious, and that's about 17% of the population. Um, they're not really sure it's happening. If it is, they're not sure that it's human cause. They hear about it some, but they don't, it, it really hasn't sunk in very much. Um, and you can also move them once you, you know, can just tell them a few stories, and, and we can talk about sort of how to message to them. Um, You've got a small group of disengaged, about 5%, um, and they really they don't hear about climate change. And, and a lot of times the reason that they're disengaged, though, is that they just have other things that are more immediate. They're trying to pay their rent. They're, you know, they have job problems. They, have, you know, they might be homeless. They're, they're people who you know, have things that are really immediate they need to deal with. And so, um, you know, they, they don't have the bandwidth really to think about something that's um, sort of broader right. than that. Um, you got your doubtful. That's about nine percent. They're uncertain it's happening, um, but if it is, they think it's likely not human caused. So a lot of times when you run into one of those people that fall into that category, they're like, "Oh, but you know, aren't there natural cycles?" Or sort of like the little clue, like they're not really convinced that it's human caused. And a lot of times they come from a more traditional background than other groups, and then the dismissive, the ones we were talking about, which I think a lot of people refer to as deniers, but in the Dale and George Mason study, they refer to them as dismissive. They're just say it's not happening. Yeah. If it is, it's not human cause, and they strongly oppose taking any steps on it. Um, but I have this T-shirt that I wear when I'm, you know, leading programs on this, and it, it lays out the five points that you, you know, need to kind of get across when you're communicating about it, and basically it's it's warming, it's us, we're sure, it's bad, and there are solutions. Right. Do you leave off that last when people just shut down? So <laughs> that's it in a nutshell. That just sums it right up. Wait, say that again. What are the five steps? So warming, you what's your T-shirt saying? And buy yourself a nifty T-shirt that says this. Uh, it's warming, it's us, yep. meaning you know, human cause. We're sure, it's bad, we're sure. <laughs> We're as sure as we are. Okay, of we're the, sure. um, yeah, we're sure. We're as sure as we are on um, smoking and cancer. 
Yeah. At least according to the NASA well, scientists. Yeah. And so instead of saying it's real, we're saying we're sure, but it's the same kind of message. This is really great. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a really useful way of looking at people out there. And and you were, th- you were mentioning numbers. Is it pretty much 20% each, or um, is there a bigger um, a big group? Uh, for and the small six groups? Americas? Um, yeah. So the, alarmed or, the alarmed is 29%. And honestly, I think it's gone up. This is December 2018 that they did it, so it, it might be okay. higher now. I mean, we've just been getting freaky weather recently. The yeah. 30% are concerned, 17% are cautious. The disengaged are 5%, and the doubtful are 9%, and the dismissive are 9%. So, there, oh my I mean, gosh. the good news is there are a lot of people who are focused on this. And, yeah, that's why I'm just like, we have to stop wasting a ton of energy on kind of the, you know, the last groups. that We spend so much yeah, time and energy focused on. You know, change yeah. their mind. Yeah, the se- yeah. It sounds to me like 78% are either cautious or concerned or alarmed. And, of course, the, the small percentage that are disengaged, you can't get to them because they're disengaged. And then it's a big uphill battle after that, and it's just, you know, 10 or 12% or something. So um, that's really yeah, about 18%. Um, but yeah. yeah. 18% of what? So... Yeah, so you really want to focus on, right on getting the yeah. people who are, yeah, you want to get them, act, you want to get the people activated as opposed to letting people kind of suck the energy out of the room by just focusing on the negatives. So, but really right. what you do with everybody is you just tell your personal story for your personal, right? you know, you know what I'm, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I work with, um, people working with politicians, and I tell them, don't ask your congressman if he or she believes in climate change. Tell them that you're upset the crocuses came up three weeks early, and what are you going to do about it? You know, because they love to take action to help their constituents, so they need it personal. You know, if you tell a congressman, go save the polar bears, that's not going to be a priority of a represented person elected by his people. Um, So keep it personal. That's absolutely, that's interesting. And you can't, no, you true. can't, there's no fight about that. You know, if I say, no. you know, my husband's gotten Lyme disease twice because, you know, the the vector range for the ticks is changing, well, no one can disagree with that. That's just a, that's just a personal fact. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's a good way to kind of engage, you know, people are like, and then you ask them questions. Have you, do you have friends who've had Lyme? Do you have, you know, any friends whose kids play sports and have had heat exhaustion, you just start asking them stuff that they're seeing. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, gardeners, yeah. They, they're seeing all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to connect with people, Tori. Um, I was just curious a little bit about some examples of these uh, climate change group talks you've done, like... If there's any that stuck with you or are currently ongoing projects, we would love to hear about them. Um, I have some that are going on right now with the medical people, but I don't know if we want to hit that yet or kind of keep it more yeah, on the... We are. We'll go there. 
Yeah, I'd love yeah, to hear them. Medical people, go for it. Yeah, we'd love to hear oh, from okay. them and a little bit about the link between health and climate change. Um, yes, yeah, so I was reading about the fact that, um, you know, there's different ways to frame the climate change issue. And it's been traditionally, at least it started off as being framed as, as an environmental issue. Um, and in fact, I have to have to read you a slide momentarily, um, a list of descriptors of environmentalists, because, um, you know, people think, oh, oh, it's environment, so this is an environmental issue, but in fact, a lot of times it's an economic issue. There's a great um, website, part of, I think it's NOAA's website, which has billion-dollar climate disasters in the United States, and they, it's um, this fabulous map, and it has, like, all the different um, fires and floods, and it shows you all the ones that are over a billion dollars that have happened this year. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I have not, but I should check it out. Yeah, it's um, pretty. I don't know it's, <laughs> what's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so I was just saying that um, you know you can frame it in economic terms, and but what they're finding is that if you, if you frame it in health terms because of all the health impacts that climate change is already having on people, um, people are far more likely to engage. Um, and one of the reasons is that people seem to have a rather negative opinion of environmentalism. And this just cracked me up. There is a book by uh, Jason Jay and Gabrielle Grant called Breaking Through Gridlock, The Power of Conversation in a Polarized World. And they cite the study. I'm not sure if they did the study themselves or who did it, but they, a bunch of people went out and they said, you know, when you think about environmentalists, you know, how would you describe them? So this um, list is in their descending order of use. So they weren't talking to environmentalists. They weren't talking to people who weren't environmentalists. They were just sort of generally serving. And what they said mm-hmm. asked to describe environmentalists is tree huggers, vegetarian, hippies, liberals, Unhygienic, one of my personal favorites, militant, eccentric, <laughs> activists, caring, protesters, overreactive, unfashionable, self-righteous, educated, drug users, hairy, which is my <laughs> other favorite one, determined, stupid, Very. intelligent, zealous, non-traditional, outdoorsy, forceful, animal lovers, intolerant, helpful, Democrats, annoying, crazy, irrational. So... <laughs> Um, wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I just love that list. That's kind of um, painful. Sorry, that's kind of painful because I'm afraid there's an element in truth of each of those. <laughs> I know. I'm like thinking, oh, what am I wearing? <laughs> it's just uh, unfashionable. unfashionable. Um, God, I, I didn't shave this morning. I think I'm hygienic. I do consider myself hygienic, though, so... Um, other than that, yeah, whereas people, for the most part, have a very positive opinion of the medical profession. It's, it's dropped some over the years, but it's still, you know, pretty highly ranked. Um, and what they've also found is that the dismissive, so the 9% of people who are most opposed to taking action, are most likely mm-hmm. to listen to their primary care doctors about climate change. Um, mm-hmm. it's, 
still maybe at like 41%, but when they, um, uh, this also came out of the old George Mason studies, when they, you know, look at all the different potential messengers, those are the ones that, you know, had the best results. So I've also Most always authority. been fascinated by, what's that? It's a, it's the a, authority. It's, a, it's the people that you, you know, trust with your yeah. health to keep you alive. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, I got interested in the whole health angle, and then the Yale School of Public Health had their first ever climate change and health certificate program. So, mm. I did that. I It was about four and a half months, I think. Finished it up in January or February of this past year. Oh, no, no. It was was online. No, I did not have to go to Connecticut. (laughs) Thank goodness. Um, (laughs) I like Connecticut, but um, that would have been a long commute. No, it was really cool because it was was online and we had Zoom classes and tons of homework. I was was like, oh, my goodness, I forgot about this. What was really (laughs) fabulous about it was that in, so every week you had, you know, class time, you know, face-to-face via Zoom. And I was in class with people literally all over the world. New Delhi, Kenya, Mauritius, Nigeria, oh. all over. Um, so you had just all these, you know, and people had lots of different backgrounds. There were a fair number of people who were <laughs> in public health and a fair number of um, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, and then a few people like me who came in as, um, I think they considered us policy people. Anyway, it was just, it was a wonderful program. Very global. That's so cool. Yeah, it's really interesting the way that you brought people all together from all over the world to do that intersection between health and um, climate change issues. Uh, this is really interesting, and we're going to talk some more with Tori Ruttenberg about it after this break. Local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco stewards and ORI partners connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI Actions and Events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. 
On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.oceanriver.org. That's oceanriver.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Tori Ruttenberg from the Climate Change Group, and Jesse McIsaac's with me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you want to follow along the conversation, please visit Tori's website, www.climatechangegroup.org. And, Tori, you were telling us about a program that involves, um, you were telling us how these people all over the world turning into health and, and um, policy, and, and that out of that came uh, this program of yours, which is, um, you know, you recognize that the, the most dismissive and doubtful people, they do listen to their physicians. And so uh, what do you, uh, how, how, how do you put that together? Yeah, so um, basically what we've done is take, so that the main talk program is like a full day and we hit for talking to all sorts of different people. Um, but when we're talking to, I believe what we decided to name this newish program is Health Talk um, because it's, you know, doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and medical students. But um, it's a much, much shorter program because they only need to focus on the health impacts. And the, the goal really is to have them practice bringing the topic up with their patients in a way that um, doesn't hurt their therapeutic relationship with their patient, doesn't become political, um, is directly relevant to the patient in front of them, um, and doesn't, you know, take up any time because a lot of times they only have 15 minutes to see a patient, so the last thing they need to do is to get into some debate. On the other hand... Um, things are changing so rapidly and health is so severely impacted by climate change that they have to at least bring some of the stuff in. So we, we keep it to like program about an hour, hour and a half. And it's really just, it's, it's more role plays. It's more, you know, talking to them a bit about what are the health impacts, um, 
talking a little bit about how to have a difficult conversation and then having them practice where they split up into pairs and one person's the patient and one person's the doctor and then they they shift. Um, and I guess the, the key for me when I was thinking about this is that there is a lot of information out there about climate communication and what doctors can say, but just my experience as a mediator facilitator is that people can say things, but they don't say them if they're afraid that it's going to lead to an argument. So it's really more about not being afraid to have a conversation that could potentially be difficult than it is about having the scientific knowledge. Does that, does that kind of make sense? So I were... Yeah, there has to be a lot of sensitivity in terms of not using hot button language and yeah. um, it's, you know, it's not so much of conveying knowledge as it is presenting a perspective as being real without um, sending the person back into the sand that there happened to be that way. Um, exactly. So it must be, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that different doctors have different styles and so you can't just write, you can't cookbook and say, okay, open the conversation with, you know, are your crocuses coming up early today or have you had an extreme weather event or something? Um, I'm sure yeah, and so, they must find their yeah, own Yeah, and you wouldn't want to do that at, at all. So actually, my primary care doctor is, he's pretty funny about it because he, um, he'll just open the blinds and he'll be like, oh, God, it sure is hot out there these days just to kind of see yeah. where people, you know, go in terms of, of course, I was all over that. Um, you know, you, I wouldn't want a doctor to even begin to discuss, discuss something not relevant to the patient that they're meeting with, but let's say it's a pediatrician. Um, there's this, um, you know, the New York Times website that will show you how many days over 90 degrees um, there are now on average versus whatever date you plug in. So in D.C., 50 years ago in D.C., it was... Um, 12 days on average above 90, and now it's 30. So if you're a doctor and you're talking to the parent of, you know, a high school athlete, you can say to them, you know, over the last 50 years, the number of dangerous days to be outside and playing sports has more than doubled. So yeah, if exactly. you know, since your yeah. daughter plays soccer, here are the things she needs to do to protect herself. She needs water. She needs blah, 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 blah. So you keep it completely Elegant. focused yeah. on that patient. Um, the health of the patient, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. And, and it is, and, and it's, it's really important information. It's not, you know, just about the fact that doctors are in a great position to get people engaged. It's also, um, you know, people are getting more and more cases of asthma and serious dehydration. We had, you know, there was a football player for University of Maryland who died of heat stroke not too long ago. Right. There's Chris Lyme. Yeah. There's just all sorts of stuff that people need to be aware of. Um, and we also talked um, about one... Sorry, go ahead. Well, we're running out of time, but just summarize. So go ahead. Oh, yeah, no. So that was pretty much what I wanted to say on it. I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. I'm, so we are running out of time, so I, I want to take a minute to um, ask you about, you know, what are the takeaway messages that you'd like to leave our listeners with? And it sounds like you've got some really specific ones. Okay. Um, One of the main things, I think, is stop debating the science. Um, First of all, that 
it's really hard to do without insulting somebody. If somebody says, I'm not really sure it's happening, and you kind of, you know, snarkily say 97% of climate change scientists say it is, basically the message you have conveyed to them is you're a blithering idiot that you don't know this. Um, and then people just shut down. So don't debate them. Don't insult them. Um, you know, for those of us who are really focused on it, we forget that other people might be a lot more focused on other things that are equally important, whether it's, you know, poverty or a kid of theirs who's sick or whatever it might be. And so we can help educate them, but we should never be sort of offensive and condescending. Um, and, then, you know, just tell your story. Think about it ahead of time. How has climate change impacted you or somebody you love so that you have that talking point there? Um, and then I guess the other thing is just don't be scared. You know, ask them questions. Um, I've found so often if somebody, you know, sort of say, oh, God, it's really hot, and they'll like, be like, yeah, it sure is. And I'll be like, yeah, climate seems to be changing. I have never <laughs> to this day had anybody disagree with me. And then you begin a conversation. So you just look for ways to kind of drop it in. Um, because, you know, one of the things that they say, you know, and I did say at the beginning that I don't think people should be overly focused on what's the best thing to do. But there's a lot of research and information out there that the best thing to do is to talk about climate change so that we'll get people to take action. So I think those are probably my main I like those. I like the way that you come on up front saying, don't go into debating the science. You know, I hate it when people tell me, scientists say, as if I'm supposed to do what scientists say, and scientists, they don't say, they ask questions. And so it's just it's huge. And you're getting back to the bit about just don't be insulting. And I heard you saying that you just got to respect people, especially those disengaged ones, you know, just respect them. Or yeah. they can't be thinking about this, you know. And um, and more than asking questions, well, maybe asking questions, but the point is to find a common ground that you guys, like, I love the story of the doctor pulling open the blinds, you know, until you're all blinded by the light. You've got a common ground right there yeah. to, to go from there. <laughs> and so once you find common ground, you know, and I do that walking down the street or when I meet people, you know, in, in just casually, um, you know, I'm looking for, um, you know, like you said, the weather or something that if they, you can tell by the way they respond, whether they're aware of climate change and so forth. And then, as you said, you know, once you have the com- see the common ground, then converse. And, um, and, it, and but you're, what you're doing is you're building relationships with people. And so you, when you do that well, I walk around Harvard Square, and it's just wonderful seeing people that you've struck a chord with um, in passing and stuff. So, um, and, and that helps people not feel alone, too. Yeah, it does. It's, it can be lonely out there. Well, it, it is lonely when you think the sky is falling in and no one else gets it. Um, and, and then you learn that, well, everyone kind of gets it, but some of them feel the sky is falling, and others just understand why you feel the sky is falling, and, and that's a much better place to be. It is. Um, and the more you talk to people, the more you realize that we're all in, we're all in this together. Um, it's been, I think, the media for ratings have tried to make it seem like it's this 50-50 split, but it's, it's not at all at this point. Um, and so people no. are trying to figure out their way forward. Um, yeah. which is why simple solutions is a good thing too. I always, that was like, I guess my other suggestion is you just try to 
you know, get people planning trees, get people just taking action, just simple, you know, doesn't have to be anything major. You're right. So simple actions. And the simple action is, look, we want to reduce our carbon emissions and we want to increase our carbon capture. How can you do that? You know, and if someone says, Mm -hmm. well, I could park a little farther from work and walk a bit. Yay, that's great, you know. Yeah. And when people think of solutions, they own the solutions. And when they're moderate like that, then they can ramp it up if they feel better about it, they feel healthier. And I love the connection between health and this climate change stuff because time and again, when you do something to reduce your carbon emissions, you also end up um, helping your health. And, and so you get Absolutely. these positive feedback loops going. And the challenge is to get people into those positive feedback loops. This has been really helpful, Tori. Jesse? Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our show. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and talk about what great stuff you've been working on. So, yeah. Thanks again for joining us. Jesse? Thanks, Rob. And we invite... We invite the listeners to um, visit uh, Tori at www.global. What is it, Tori? Tell us her website one more time. www.climatechangegroup.org. And um, this has been a fabulous uh, chance to break down and, and recognize that, you know, even though we're all in the boat together, that the, they're also kind of like six different perspectives of how we, we look at this and, and how people are dealing with this from, I, I love this uh, continuum you created with the alarmed people uh, or the alarmed and activist people like me and then the concerned but um, only moderately worried and then the um, cautious people who, you know, they're on the right way. They're just cautious about change and stuff. And then you've got mm-hmm. the disengaged people who, you said are just so full of um, of living day to day that they're just they can't they can't focus on it. God bless them. Yeah. And then you have the, the more uh, doubtful um, people, and then that merges over to um, the um, this, uh, what what you call dismissive. them the dismissive the dismissives. Yeah. They yeah. Dismiss the whole because idea. They they're dismissing it, and um, so it's it's a wonderful. We like diversity of communities, but we got a great diversity there of people uh, living with climate change. And I thank you for helping us find pathways in with how to communicate with them and start conversations. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you're most welcome. And that's it for this episode of Moyers Environmental Dialogues. Uh, Thank you for listening. And for all of you, please take time to take care of yourself and then take a little time to take care of this planet of ours. Thanks for listening. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. Dr.